So a question for all of you here this morning. What do you sometimes find yourself hungry for when you can absolutely feel yourself needing to be filled up? And when you've had a hard day working outside in the wonderful, blessed world we have here in Northeast Florida in the summer heat, what are you thirsty for that your positive will quench your thirst and cool you down? Of all the things that you eat and drink during the week, how much of it really falls into that unique and special category of not only filling up your stomach and hydrating your body, but also leaving you truly feeling good and healthy and above all, full. I have to tell you a story this morning, and I'm really a little embarrassed that the Holy Spirit has led me to tell you this story today, especially with so many visitors here this morning. I'm embarrassed because, as most of you know, I was raised in Baptist and Pentecostal churches in eastern Kentucky, and there was always one thing that you never, ever talked about in church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Saturday night or any of the other times you gathered in the church. That was the drinking of alcohol. I grew up knowing that if the deacons of the church ever got together and had a drink, and you knew that the deacons of the church did that, it could only happen back behind a barn somewhere out of sight. And you also knew that above and beyond everyone else, it would be absolutely beyond shocking to the core If you happen to spot the preacher in the grocery store with a six-pack of beer or a bottle of wine in his shopping cart. Luckily, where I lived, it was a dry county, so you never had to worry about that. Well, again, if you're one of the visitors we have this morning, I should probably go ahead and inform you that that particular approach to the consumption of alcohol ain't us. We are whiskey, I mean, excuse me, We are Episcopalians, and we are the variety of Christians who, like our brothers and sisters in the Lutheran and the Catholic and even a few Presbyterian churches, have always believed that as long as it is done within serious moderation, the drinking of alcohol is perfectly acceptable for those over the age of 21 in this country. The problem is that alcohol is something that can move us human beings easily outside that realm of serious moderation, isn't it? Really, for some people, it isn't even something we should probably be giggling about this morning because they have had to face the serious challenge of escaping the very real disease of alcoholism, either personally or in their family or with their friends. Regardless of our take on alcohol personally, we have to accept that it is like so many other things that come from the natural gifts to us by God in our world. Things like tobacco and medicine and entertainment and money and love. If we are not careful, those very gifts can become nothing short of demonic forces, which can overwhelm us, lead us into sin, and drag us into devastation. And because of that very simple truth that we all know, maybe, just maybe, our Baptist and our Mormon and our Muslim brothers and sisters are right. Why even put yourself in a position that could cause you to lose control and fall into sin? Well, most of us adults have the feeling that we can all handle it 
effectively, right? And like most of us, I'm certainly one of those who always believes I can handle it. And most of the time, I've been able to do that. But like I said, this morning, I'm driven to tell you a story. A little story about a time I didn't exactly handle it the way that I intended. It was the week when Audrey and I announced our engagement several years back. We were in Ireland visiting her family, and we were invited by three of her very close friends for a night of celebration. Celebration of the big announcement we just made and of Audrey's birthday, which fell on that very same week. When we arrived at the house, there was what you expect at a celebration. There was wonderful food that had been prepared. There was a big cake with candles in it. And of course, there were lots of champagne toasts to kick off the evening. And after dinner, as Audrey and her girlfriends were celebrating in the kitchen or in a different room, myself and the husbands gathered in the living room. And in that great tradition of Irish hospitality, let me just say that the pint glasses never went dry. Now, really, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you when I tell you that I'm at best a social drinker. But that was just it. This was a very social gathering. So I made the fateful decision that evening, knowing a whole lot better about myself, not to turn away that holy Irish blessing. And so as the night went on, I was blessed and blessed and blessed a little bit more. And when I finally fell into bed, or if I could remember, I think it might have been on the chair, late into the night, I could have sworn I heard the voice within my head of that wonderful 14th century English Christian mystic, Dame Julian of Norwich. It was as if she were assuring me, as she once wrote, that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And when the morning finally broke, I instantly realized that Dame Julian was not talking about all the things being well that I'd imbibed over the course of that night. As I lay there in bed feeling the sickness, why do we do this? The sickness inside my body, I kept telling myself, you know what? You're an adult. You can handle this. You can handle this. Well, I couldn't handle this. And when I finally got up, I tried to pretend that I was fine. But I most certainly was not fine. I was bad. And I'll just leave it at that. And then suddenly, as the morning progressed, I realized that around 1 p.m. that day, Audrey and I had plans to go have lunch with another one of her friends. I seemed to recall laying the front seat in the car all the way down as far as possible and laying in it as Audrey drove us to the next house. And as we drove, I realized I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to hold it together long enough to meet these new friends that afternoon. But somehow, I made it out of the car and into the house, and it was when we finally gathered around the table in that house for lunch and Audrey's friend brought out a nice hot bowl of soup that I suddenly began to feel life inside my body starting to win the battle against the sickness. When I lifted the spoon of that hot 
broth of chicken soup and I placed it in my mouth and I swallowed it, the comforting warmth it brought into my body felt absolutely miraculous. It was truly, at least at that moment and at that time and under those circumstances, the best chicken soup that I'd ever tasted in my entire life. And with every bite, I began to feel my body resurrecting, physically coming back from what really had been something like a near-death experience, I'm quite sure. And by the time those chicken and stuffing sandwiches came out, I was like a new man. It was truly an incredible recovery in ways that words still can't seem to express. And so, for weeks and months, all I could think about after that was how rich and flavorful that amazing soup had been to my sin-sick soul. I assumed it must have been some kind of homemade Irish mammy delicacy. It took a total of about six months before my wonderful wife, Audrey, finally got tired of me talking about it. And she finally made the call to her friend who had created this heavenly bowl of magic. That's when I had to accept that every last drop of it actually came out of nothing more than an instant soup packet. (laughs) I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. From the view of that greater culinary world, the soup that I thought had saved my life was nothing special at all. Nothing. Now, I imagine that everyone here today probably has a similar story of that one thing that just might have saved you in that moment when you found yourself in the middle of losing control of what you were quite sure you could handle. As much as I wish that the moral of my silly story this morning was simply eat more Campbell's chicken noodle soup, the truth is... As much as it revived me in that traumatic moment, something tells me that if I ever taste it again when I am okay and not trying to recover from a night of utter stupidity, it will most likely taste nowhere near as good as I remembered it. But again, we've all been there. And doesn't that one thing just leave us searching and looking for something else? And it returns us to that itching set of questions I first ask you. What is it that can ever fill us up and quench our thirst for good? What can help us handle that which we never seem to be able as human beings to truly be able to handle? Brothers and sisters, for the last three weeks, we've been reading what is the most important bread of life discourse in St. John's Gospel, hearing our Lord Jesus Christ laying out for his disciples and for each one of us the one roadmap to something that can give us true life and health and even give it to us eternally. Last week in John, Jesus is being followed, we're told, by so many of those 5,000 people who the week before he just fed fully with only five barley loaves and two fish. Over 5,000 people that he'd fed. They've come searching for Jesus, we find out, because they want more of that bread. And when they finally track down Jesus and find him, our Lord looks at them and he basically says to them, people, you're missing the point. Don't come here because you want to eat bread. Come to me to receive the food of the Spirit that your soul deep inside of you 
desperately needs to finally begin living your life completely and fully. Jesus wants them to know that the bread he can give them isn't just a can of instant soup that helps you feel better in a moment of being hungover in drunkenness. No, it's not at all that. The bread that he can give us, if we can begin to consume it regularly and let it move into our body and form us and shape us and resurrect us into that which God created to be, not what the world pushes us to be. In fact, this bread is the only thing that begin to break us out of the shells and the masks that our world forces us to wear in our life. It is bread that actually tastes better and better each and every time we take it into our bodies. And it will give us true health, true happiness, and true direction, even when we fall into the darkest of times in our life. And there'll be so many of those dark times. It will do that because it is something that is holy and completely free. And it is available always, and it will never cost too much or be something we need to lay off of or to try to gain control over and handle ourselves. It is food that can feed that soul. And the soul, brothers and sisters, is the one thing that we have, the only thing that we have that can overcome that which haunts us and that which threatens our body the most, and that is death. Listen to what Jesus is saying to all of us this morning in this place. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I'm sure I heard that passage probably read in the good old King James version of the Bible multiple times growing up. And you know, growing up among the good old-fashioned Baptist church didn't just encourage me through those words to stay away from that which can cause me to fall into sin. It also taught me one thing that I continue to return to, and that is that I needed to be saved. And often in my life when I make mistakes, I still need to be saved. And there'll be times coming up in my life where I'm going to need to be saved again. Brothers and sisters, no matter what you're dealing with in your life right now, you too are going to find that moment when you need to be saved. The invitation for you this morning is to come forward to this table. Eat the bread of life, which is nothing less than the very body of Jesus Christ. Drink from the cup. Taste and feel the sweet, warm liquid that will move down toward that part of your body that needs it the most, your heart. For it is the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, it is the food and the drink that can finally begin to make you feel full. It is the bread of life, the only bread that can fully and completely save you. Hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 34. Taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Happy are they who trust in him. Amen.